All right, I'm recording over here with this lovely thing. And I'm recording over here with this. Hello everyone, it's me, it's Kelly, it's Thursday, it's 420, <laughs> how funny, it's October 5th, it's weird, um, anyway, I'm here live on Facebook, um, just to do my live thing, which is uh, on Thursdays, I've been recording my podcast, I've always recorded my podcast on Thursdays, I don't know why that is, but I have. Um, and so, uh, Logan's not here today, but I am recording it by myself on my computer. I don't have a real mic this week. Mm -hmm. I'm just too lazy to set it all up. I don't have a guest. I don't have a round table. It's just me. Uh, and I almost didn't do the podcast this week because it's such a fucked week. So anyway, I'm going to start and we'll start talking. This is Kelly Carlin and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Hi everyone, it's Kelly. It's October 5th, 2017. It's been a hell of a week, once again in America. Weird shit going down. Um, Sunday night, don't know why, but for some reason, I thought, it's like 11 p.m. You know what, I'm just gonna put CNN on. See what's going on in the world. Proceeded to watch for the next three hours the unfolding of this insanity that had gone on in Las Vegas. That's even turned into more of an insanity because <laughs> uh, this person who did this act, um, at least I didn't watch the news yet today, as far as yesterday, no one could fucking figure it out, including his brother. I highly recommend going to watch the, I think it's CBS or NBC, 30-minute raw tape of his brother just talking. Pretty interesting stuff. So um, if that all wasn't bad enough, then we um, got Tom Petty, the death of Tom Petty, which I'm barely processing at this point because... Uh, there's only so much one can fucking take in a week <laughs> or in or in a month or in the last 11 months it's been like 11 months now for those of us who are not thrilled with the new president um so what i wanted to do today was um well a couple things really interesting for me um you know i've been teaching online I've been teaching this uh, unplugged course, which really should be called plugged in because it's it's unplugging certain things in order to plug in to the stuff that really matters and fulfills and actually feeds us. Um, and so for the fall session, since I teach meditation in that, um, I decided to really up my practice and do 20 minutes of meditation a week. And last week I did it and it was absolutely incredible. 20 minutes of sitting meditation every morning and uh, it just really, really grounded me. I felt so clear and so grounded last week. And um, and then of course this week, 
I've not felt so clear and grounded, partly because of those external things that I just talked about, but also because I'm speaking this Saturday and I'm actively working on this piece. I'm speaking up at Pacifica Graduate Institute where I got my master's in counseling psychology, emphasis on Jungian psychology. Um, I graduated from there in 2004 and I've gone up there and I've talked a few times to these open houses, kind of prospective students and stuff. And um, it's fun. I get to do a little storytelling and I get to be in a space that's really very much my space, very much who I am, things I care deeply about. Um, it's not showbiz, which is nice. But when you're going to give a talk or anything like that, it just, you know, these things are important to me. And so I've been in that expectation mode also and just watching how my God, just how all that works on inside of me, you know, the, the perfectionism part, which I have a good kind of feel with deal and dealing with it pretty much. Okay. But you want to give value. And at the same time, I really realize that I'm wrestling with all of this stuff still. Um, the topic that I'm doing is a topic that I've been literally wrestling with. No, not literally Kelly, uh, but I have been. No, but I, I mean, it feels literal because it is that action because it's such a good metaphor. Um, been working on a book proposal for the last year of my life around this topic of daughterhood and what I just lived through the last nine years in stepping up to tell my story and be a memoir writer and to be a solo show performer and be in the public eye. And so the title of this talk for Pacifica is wrestling with daughterhood, memoir, and individuation. For you Jungians out there, it's very Jungian. And for you non-Jungians, individuation is, the, is, the, is the, the developmental part of our life when we kind of reach middle age and we realize that there's more to who we are and a lot of pieces of ourselves we put away in a closet somewhere in order to be good, good daughters and good sons and good girls and good boys and good husbands and good wives and all those things. And that it's time to acknowledge and look at those parts. And some of them are like the ugly shit we don't want to look at, like our fears and our obsessions and our ego and our narcissism and all of that. And other parts, it's, you know, positive stuff that we've put aside, like our creativity, which was in my case, um, and my wanting to be in the spotlight and wanting to be on a stage, which I had judged my entire life. Um, not for my father, not for other people, but judged it for myself. So I'm working on this piece and I'm just working through all this material still. It's still, a lot of it is unconscious for me still. Um, and even read a little book, a little Jungian book today with a different angle on it. It was like, oh my God, that's what I'm doing. Like I'm literally, and this time I am literally going on a stage and being in the spotlight in order to wrestle with being in the shadow. Um, physicalizing my coming out of the shadow. Um, I think that's why it's been so fascinating. Paul Provenza and I used to talk about this all the time. So just that creative thing going on with me right now, and I'm sure other creatives out there can really relate to this when you have a show coming up or a presentation, or even if you're not a creative and you're like doing a presentation or you're whatever, we're all creative. I mean, I'm not saying that, but um, when you're kind of putting yourself out into the world, this whole other level of anxiety shows up and all this kind of stuff. So that's been my week too. Um, but on um, yesterday morning, I think it was yesterday, 
Yeah, it was yesterday. I was just checking the date because I was looking at my journal here. The LA Times published a beautiful interview with Tom Petty. It was his last interview. It was with the guy with the LA Times. He was here. Tom Petty was just here at the Hollywood Bowl a few weeks ago. I missed it. I've never seen Tom Petty in person, and I never will now. And he was someone who was really important to me. So I wanted to read this article. And um, so I'm just going to read you a little quote from the article and then a little bit out of my own journal, some writing I did around this, um, this whole Tom Petty thing. I hope you enjoy it. Tom Petty said, the thing about the heartbreakers is it's still holy to me. He said with no air of loftiness or pretense, the interviewer said, quote, there's a holiness there. If that were to go away, I don't think I would be interested in it. And I don't think they would. He meant the other heartbreakers. So this is what I wrote in response to that section of the interview about holiness. It, it made me cry as I was reading it. And so I knew it was up for me. And so I started writing. That holiness, that is why I get on a stage. There's something holy about this work. That's the allure, and that's the trap. Wanting to have a relationship with the holiness and not become unconsciously consumed by the messianic archetype within it also. We are not the gods or goddesses. We are very human. It is only our humanity that matters on the stage or on the page, ultimately. Did I want to be a part of that holiness because my dad was a part of it? I assume so. Was that the only reason? No. My dad saw Danny Kaye as a young man on the big screen and knew he wanted to be just like him one day. I saw Kel Burnett on the small screen and wanted to be just like her someday. Did my dad being on that small screen too complicate things for me? Oh, for sure. The first time I saw him on it, I ran out of the room screaming and crying. I was around two years old. I was sure he was trapped in there. Ended up, he was. So I craved the holiness, the magic, and I feared it. I know it's traps. I knew it's rewards. And yet I couldn't shut off the desire for the holiness. I've spent way more years of my life craving to be part of the holiness than expressing myself in a public way than actually getting to be a part of it all. Within each decade of my life, I got a decent-sized bite of it, but chose always to stay away. I approached the altar, but always walked out of the church. Part of me knew I wasn't strong enough yet to endure the overwhelming psychological archetypal forces that being in the spotlight requires. Without sufficient ego strength, it will eat you alive. Every overdose, family drama, mental breakdown by a celebrity, I would guess, is in part due to that intensity of being a part of the holiness. In order to survive it, you have to believe in it, while at the very same time, not fall for it. What do I mean by that? I mean the same thing the Zen Buddhists have been carrying on about for millennia. Both the relative, the human part, and the absolute, the transcendent part, are equal, non-dual, the same. 
There is no there, there, because it's here, here, now, now. The holiness is an illusion not to be sought after, and yet here it is, right here in this space, between you and me in this now presence. That's the holiness. Our ability to see each other without prejudice or shame. That's the gift, rock and roll, great films, people who have it give us access to. They transcend an aspect of our own humanity while doing it through their very ordinary lives. That is everything I have struggled with the last nine years of my life. All sides of that. And realizing that when my dad died that I had an opportunity to stay in the church. I like that metaphor. So, you know, when one of those holy people like Tom Petty dies, it something in us dies too. And yet, here we are with all these people dying recently. I feel like they're almost asking us to own our own holiness and not in a narcissistic, narcissistic or megalomaniac way, but in our, in our human way, in, in the way that, that the individuation process asks us to be in, to reclaim the parts of ourselves that we project onto those people or project onto our own art or project onto showbiz or celebrity or powerful people and pull it back, back into our own hearts. I don't know what to do with the events of this week. I don't know what to do with this massacre. I don't know what to do with this country anymore. <laughs> it all feels so dangerous and scary. And I know some people felt that about the Obama administration. They felt really ungrounded by it. They felt uh, terrified. And those of us who didn't saw them as projecting their fears onto him, the black man or, or whatever it was. But I know that some of this terror that we feel about the insanity is a projection for us too. It has to be. We're humans. We do projection. We project all the time. We project all things onto everybody. Um, but also at the same time, real things are being dismantled, things that we care about. And that's hard to watch because we, we don't have a lot of power to change it right now. Um, I hope people do vote <laughs> next year. Um, so I wanted to give us a chance here um, today, this week on the podcast to, um, to have a little experience, to have a different experience. This is something I did in my class last Sunday. I, uh, like I said, I've been teaching these classes. Last Sunday was the second of eight that I'm doing. I'm actually doing 10, the second of 10 uh, live webinars I'm doing. Um, if you're interested in joining me, you can still join. Uh, if you join up, uh, you get access to all 10. And the kind of thing about this is it isn't a real class. It's not where things build on each other, but it's an opportunity to drop in and um, unplug 
on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And so I brought this exercise to the class because and this was Sunday morning, because things are overwhelming right now in the world, even without the massacre and Tom Petty and Trump throwing paper towels, paper towels, throwing paper towels. in Puerto Rico. <laughs> I saw that press conference where he talked about how many dead people were dead there and how great it was. Uh, I, I, I'm still amazed that this man can shock me. So anyway, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. So part of the unplug is helping people unplug from the a lot part and um, reconnecting to our inner strength a little bit more. So I'm going to offer this exercise. This is an exercise that Joanna Macy does, created. I'm giving her full credit, of course. And um, it's called the Great Ball of Merit. And it's an imaginal exercise. So for those of you who are used to visualizations, this will probably be pretty easy for you. But for those of us who are more in the... Um, non-woo-woo, secular, humanist, atheist, agnostic category, skeptic category, you, get a, you might get a little resistant with this. And I just want to say that the power of your imagination is working all the time. That even though you have a rational, reasonable mind, your imagination is also creating the richness of life and can be used for good in your life. And that creating metaphor and story and accessing myth in order to shape the experience of your life is a powerful way to take control over your own life and be more in choice. And so I offer this visualization to all of you, Joanna Macy's visualization. She's a system theorist, she's a Buddhist scholar, and she's someone who works with activists and has worked with activists for the last 30 years in helping them with burnout. Her work couldn't be more essential these days because we are all activists now, or all of us who are feeling like activists are activists, um, because we've all been woke on some level and we're all feeling very burnt out already. And we're only 11 months in. So put your skepticism aside for a moment Find a nice, quiet space if you can. Pause this podcast and uh, wait till you can get home and lay down in a quiet space or sit in a quiet space. And uh, let yourself just relax and close your eyes. And now I want you to open your awareness to the fellow beings who share with you this planet time. Start in your very near vicinity. Start with the people inside your abode. That could be your family, your pets, uh, the other people in your apartment building. Expand it out to the other people now in your block. Just letting your awareness include them in your space. And then stretch out from your block into your neighborhood, picturing what that is like, all those people. And then maybe you can get a bird's eye view is what I usually do. And then I start to include the state I live in and then the region I live in. 
and then looking up and seeing the whole country and then letting yourself go way back and include in some way a connection to all the living beings on this earth at this time. Let your mind's eye, if even if you can't see it as a picture, let yourself feel it in some way. Just recognize it, whatever sense you use to do that. Don't get hung up on pictures here. Let yourself see the multitudes. And now let your awareness open even wider. And I want you to let it encompass all beings who have ever lived. <laughs> all human beings, all conscious sentient human beings that have ever lived. Imagine rich, poor, all races, all creeds, all geographic location, all walks of life, kings and beggars, saints and sinners. See the vast vistas of these fellow beings stretching into the distance. I mean, how many billions is that? See each little dot as one of these beings, like successive mountain ranges, ranges inside of your consciousness. Now, I want you to consider the fact that in each of these innumerable lives, some act of merit was performed. No matter how stunted or deprived or evil a life, there was a gesture of generosity, a gift of love, an act of valor or self-sacrifice on the battlefield or in the workplace, in the hospital, in the home. From these beings in their endless multitudes arose actions of courage, kindness, of teaching, and healing. Let yourself feel and see these manifold and immeasurable acts of merit. Now, now imagine in some magical way that you can sweep together these acts of merit and sweep them into a pile in front of you. Literally, use your hands. Use the motion of sweeping them together into a pile. Pile them up. Pile all of these acts of merit, these innumerable acts of merit, into a heap viewing it with gladness and gratitude. Now, take this heap of merit and pat them into a ball, these acts of merit. Pat them into an enormous ball, into the great ball of merit. Feel how big it is and let yourself bring it in and condense it into a size in which you can actually hold it and weigh it in your hands. 
this great ball of merit. Rejoice in it, knowing that no act of goodness is ever lost. It remains ever and always a present resource. It is the means for, transforma for transformation of life. And so now, with jubilation and gratitude, you turn that great ball. You turn it over and over and over and send it out into the healing of our world, into the fluid tapestry of space-time, where there is a no distinction between self and other. The acts and intentions of others are like seeds that can germinate and bear fruit into our own lives as we take them into awareness and dedicate or turn over that awareness to our own empowerment. Thoreau, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, countless nameless heroes and heroines of our day, all can be part of our ball of merit from which we draw inspiration and endurance. And so I would suggest now to take some time, maybe if you have a journal, write a little bit about what it felt like to do that and what it's like to recognize that even with all the insanity and the acts of things that are not feeling very meritorious, is that a word? <laughs> Merited? I don't know. Um, know that every single day you and the people around you and people you do not know, perfect strangers all over the world, are really doing acts of kindness and courage all the time in little ways. And know that that is the thing that's going to help us. Like Hope Hall said last week when we talked about her experience at the Obama administration and what she felt like when Trump was elected, she just knew that no matter what, we have each other. And we have each other in these kind acts. When we do an act of courage or kindness, whether it is known or unknown, whether it's to someone we love or to a stranger, we are saying to the other person, I am here and we are connected. And we are, we are connected. Those acts of heroism at that massacre were beautiful. That's who we are. You know, and it sounds so fucking trite, but it is true. And yes, we also are the man in the tower shooting the gun. Strangely enough, that is all of who we are. Full spectrum right there. So with that, I hope you have a good week. Uh, I don't know what my podcast will be next week. Maybe I'll have a round table. Maybe I'll have an octagon table with some friends. Maybe I'll have an interview with someone. I don't know. But um, if you want to check out my class, come join me. Go to my uh, website, kellycarlin.com. Go to the teaching tab. Check out the thing there. Um, and uh, 
if you're watching this on my Facebook Live right now, put a little comment below. Let me know um, what you thought about this podcast today. And for you pod, pod people out there, thank you again for being a subscriber and supporting me and, uh, and for keeping the flame alive while I was not doing the podcast. I really, really appreciate all of you who listen to this and who show up here. So thank you. And uh, thank you, Logan, for uh, being a part of this team and supporting my work. All right, you guys. Have a good one. Take care of yourself. All right. Bye-bye.